Hello, I'm Jay Cantor and welcome to Scotland. Yes, we've decamped to Edinburgh for the annual International Television Festival to bring you a bumper edition of Talking TV. With ringside seats to the year's best speakers, a handful of top telly execs will join me to chew over the big themes. On the agenda is Armando Iannucci's takedown of the government in his McTaggart lecture, feisty debate about the BBC's future and some high-stakes scheduling from ITV. Along the way, BBC TV boss Danny Cohen talks about the turbulence of charter renewal and we get a glimpse into life in the Big Brother house. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Uh, Producer Matt and I have found ourselves a little corner at the Edinburgh International Conference Centre and I'm delighted to say that we're joined by some of uh, telly's finest minds. Uh, With us is a brace of Chief Creative Officers in the shape of Channel 4's Jay Hunt and Sony's Wayne Garvey. Uh, If that wasn't enough, we've got Zai Bennett, Sky Atlantic Director and the Festival's Chair. Uh, And last but not least, Broadcast Editor Chris Curtis. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, Welcome to you all. Thanks for coming on. First things first, nice and simple. Can I get your festival highlights? Or lowlights either, we're happy either way. Jay, do you want to start us off? Actually, mine is not about this specific festival. I have the same every year, which is the festival, as you know, funds a big kind of charitable program and oh, far and away. No, so serious. No, no, it's not worthy. I promise you. Far and away. If you ever want to have an injection of energy about this, this whole industry, walk into a room of 30 people who are 19 who think that all their Christmases have come at once and they're going to have a big break. And it's unbelievably uplifting. That's one. And actually, I've just uh, done an interview with John Langrofer. I think he's probably the cleverest man I've ever met talking about telly and from a US perspective, which is great too. Wayne? I thought it might be uh, the culture secretary's what me gov um, uh, response to the BBC things, but I think my highlight has been Nick Ross's performance today. It was amazing. I mean, what's he on? Unpredictable. Uh, unpredictable. Yeah. He did more flip-flops in one sense than you'll find in that Haviana's store. I mean, he was all over the shop. What was that about? I think he used the phrase clinging to the tit of the licence fee. He did use that expression. <laughs> which is a horrible expression. Which is horrible, but that's, uh, that's probably the highlight for me. I really enjoyed Jay and John actually I thought it was brilliant he's a lovely man she she should have a chat show she's amazing (laughs) Uh, move over Jake this is a bit of a love in and um, John Logan was exceptional just watching him talk I could watch him talk all day he's just uh, glorious creative amazing not your eviscerating in the Big Brother house then uh, I didn't. I didn't get eviscerated. <laughs> Did I? Oh yeah, maybe slightly. <laughs> That's definitely my highlight. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that back up. I, 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 ed- I actually edited that as well. I can't believe I left it in. Never mind. And Chris, it feels to me a bit like I've spent the last day and a half at a sort of political conference, which hasn't been entirely the sort of quite the sort of vibrant, uh, creative buzz of a, of a of a normal Edinburgh. But what I would say is that the McTaggart, I'm going for a relatively traditional highlight, I thought that... that it's off limits, you it can't was, have a McTaggart. I, 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 <laughs> I can't have a McTaggart. <laughs> okay, I, in that case, I will go for the leaders' debate and some of the more left-field questions that were thrown up in that session. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay, well, we can move on to the McTaggart very swiftly uh, and get stuck into Amadou Inucci's lecture. Uh, the speech that so often sets the tone for the whole festival here at Edinburgh. Uh, the thick of it creator's message was straightforward. Uh, the government is mad to tamper with the BBC and fails to recognise the success of the UK's television industry. Uh, Ianucci attempted to dismantle the charter renewal process and said it was bad capitalism to attack the BBC on the back of extremely subjective ideological opinions. Uh, here's an excerpt from midway through the speech uh, where Ianucci imagines the BBC coming quite literally under siege. Dawn. An eerie silence settles on central London. Then, bang! 
tanks and troops move into Broadcasting House. Their instructions close down the BBC. A cyber attack obliterates its websites while all local radio stations and DJs are evacuated and pulped. <laughs> In London, the army handcuffs Lord Hall and escorts him off to a museum. <laughs> By noon, live atrocities can be seen taking place behind Fiona Bruce. Salford takes a little longer to subjugate as four army squadrons land in Manchester and then have to take a shuttle bus. <laughs> in Glasgow, in Glasgow, Nick Robinson is tied up and fired by cannon into BBC Scotland. It only takes a few minutes to tweet his whereabouts, throw open the doors and let locals do their worst. Meanwhile, in London, ruthlessly, remorselessly, a lone masked figure moves through the BBC's confusing corridors, killing off the presenters one by one. Dimbleby is down. Norton eviscerated. Mary Berry is cut through like one of her delicious sponges. <laughs> Meanwhile, Simon Sharma is history. <laughs> All that's left to defend the battered corporation is one man, Professor Brian Cox. The masked destroyer goes for him, and it's quickly apparent that Brian Cox may be clever and good-looking, but as we've long suspected, is rubbish in hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> Cox flees to the canteen area, hoping to barricade himself in. It's no use. The automatically opening safety doors are no obstacle to the hooded assassin, who steps through and destroys Cox with a single punch to his beautiful, clever face. <laughs> and with him all hope of the BBC remaining in its present form. The assailant stands in the canteen and removes his mask. There, revealed, is Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> laughing at the irony of destroying the BBC in a room full of readily available hot meals. Unsurprisingly, it all went down rather well, and Iannucci was afforded that rare thing from McTaggart, a standing ovation. Uh, I caught up with a few people afterwards, starting with BBC2 controller Kim Schillinglaw. I was so proud that Armando mentioned Sky at Night and Stargazing Live as brilliant programmes, what the BBC is here to do, and also as really great examples of BBC4 and BBC2 working well together. Uh, so we're with uh, Chief Operating Officer of All Three Media, uh, Sarah Gita. What did you make of it? I think he is an absolute star. I mean, his ability to put forward a coherent argument and just sort of say the support for the BBC, which I think is just brilliant, and just sort of what it gives to society and everybody. With uh, And he, it wasn't so tub-thumping. It was, this is what it is, and so don't destroy it. And I think it was brilliant. It was quite a nuanced dismantling of the BBC Charter oh, in your process. It was brilliant. And his use of language. I think you'd be hard-pushed to find anybody else who could put forward such a brilliant argument in that kind of way. I mean, he was, it, it was just, it, you know, he's very clever. Do you think it was always going to be popular in this room? Yes. Well, a whole bunch of independent producers. I mean, and producers, actually, across the board. So, absolutely. It's a great, you know, TV festivals with a creative community. And those of us in business are creative as well. And that's what we want to support. And I think it's great. You know, we're all worried about the BBC and the current... Some of the questions in the Green Paper make you question the way that the politicians are looking at the BBC. And I think it, he put forward a very good case. And what about this feeling that TV is not, as, it's not held in as high a regard as some other industries? Do you, do you go along with that theory? I think the TV industry actually contributes enormous amounts, you know, I mean, huge amounts financially to the GDP and to the cultural life of the country. 
and I think sometimes that gets forgotten. So we're with Talking TV regular and uh, the managing director of Lemonade Money, Fraz Osman. What are your thoughts, Fraz? You, you seem a bit sceptical. No, not at all. I think it's one of the uh, the best McTaggarts I've seen. I think we got a real treat here because you know he is one of the greatest comedy writers of our times, and he was giving us say, a chat about about television. It's kind of like that that navel-gazing W1A feeling when you watch that and you're a bit like, wow, this is kind of for me. And you, you really felt like that with this where you had some really good gags. It was very, very smart. It had a few jabs that you need in there for the BBC and you got all of that. Preaching to the choir. Absolutely, yeah. And, and what a song. Did it help him? Probably not, actually. It probably hindered him that John Whittingdale was actually quite conciliatory in the opening session of the festival? Well, I think that Whittingdale has been conciliatory throughout all of this process. I think that he's, he? he's, a, well, he's a very good politician in the sense that he says a lot without saying much, if that's even possible, but I, and, which makes him a great politician. And I think that John Whittingdale has been very clever in opening up a debate and letting other people argue the debate for him and try and figure out what he's trying to say without confirming or denying that's what he's saying. People want to use him as a punching bag for this debate to kind of go to Tories think about this, about the BBC, but it's difficult to kind of pin him down and say this is exactly what he thinks. What Armando did is that he really played out that idea that, well, hang on a minute, if you're a free market Tory and you believe in what the BBC does when it comes to the UK creative economy, you should really be supporting this and, and actually not trying to break it down. And that's actually quite a um, provocative and seductive argument. And, uh, and it's really great that's been brought to the fore. Another big cheese in the audience was Culture Secretary John Whittingdale, who had earlier in the day struck a conciliatory tone with the BBC, claiming the idea that the Tories had a vendetta against Auntie is absolute nonsense. So... Uh, given that context, what do we make of the speech, Chris? It was odd because in the morning you'd had Whittingdale saying, I'm not the bogeyman. And then you had Inuchi saying, oh, yes, you are. And so it kind of was a little bit about face, really. You're about my shit. It was preaching. No, no, <laughs> not at all. It was preaching to the converted, but it did so in a very good way. And the, the question now is, who do you believe? Do you believe the government's out to get the corporation or do you believe that everyone's going to play nicely and uh, I think until we get the um, the white paper we're going to be guessing well, I'm blaming you guys at Broadcast Magazine you've started this campaign to save the BBC and it turns out you didn't need to there is no, apparently <laughs> it's, it's, it's all in our imagination apparently these people putting stories in the times and stuff uh, it doesn't exist this is we've all imagined this war, no? it's a phony war apparently <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Do you agree, Jay? I think, you know, in the end, if you sit through enough McTaggarts, I mean, what's good now is in, it's done at the EICC, which means you sit on a comfortable seat, so you've got away from those wooden pews in the airy hall, which is good. Very high gag count, which always goes down well in the room. I thought it was really good. Tiny bit, motherhood and apple pie. You know, the BBC is a great thing. A lot of us work at the BBC. I think it is a great thing almost strayed into being ridiculously uncritical in places but I mean I think it, it played very well in the room it was a good speech yeah. and I'm sure it will do them some favours It was always going to be popular wasn't it Zai? Yeah well they did exactly what we booked him to do which is a personal passionate speech About the BBC specifically? Were you it, looking no, for no, that when, could, you, when you booked could, him? He could go for whatever he wanted to go but I just wanted someone to do I didn't want someone who was in a corporate life or a corporate role I wanted someone who'd been a creator and speaking their mind And that creative message had particular resonance, I guess, when he was talking about the advisory group that John Wickendale's pulled together for Charter Renewal and all of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, got, he's a passionate man and he, he went for it, didn't he? Yeah. And it's fun, as Jay said, hilarious. Well, she I saw hilarious. Alex Mahon in the room afterwards. Uh, she, she didn't look very happy, I have to say. Look, uh, Stuart Purvis <laughs> was there as well, I think. So yeah. there was a few of, the, there was a few of the, the panel. I mean, I think to Wayne's slightly tongue-in-cheek point about should the BBC be quaking its boots or is, is everything well with the world? Three weeks in a row, I think it was three weeks in a row, the Sunday Times was splashing on the government's out to get the BBC. These were not 
dreamt up by journalists. This is being briefed out by the sort of shadowy powers that be behind the scenes. Now, Mr. whether M. that, whether that was whether that was the DCMS, whether that was the Treasury, whether that was Number Ten, it's hard to know. But I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for the BBC to sort of mount the barricades and say, "Look, come on, we need to really defend ourselves," given that they get a lot of grief over the years for not sticking up for themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought Danny was very good on that yesterday. You were always criticised for not in, within the industry for not sticking up for ourselves. Now we are. Now we're being criticised for that. I'd, I'd much rather see the BBC putting a case for uh, the BBC and indeed the rest of the industry because we all need a strong, well-funded BBC. Will it have an impact, do you think? The McTaggart? Yeah. No, I don't think it'll have any impact at all. I mean, no, but I mean, in the end, as I said, he booked a great creative. He's not booked uh, someone who's going to reshape the nature of government policy. I mean, I think the issue for the BBC is not manning the barricades too quickly. This is going to be a long game. It's likely this government will be in for quite a long time. Uh, and I think it's just a question of beginning. The Tilting Wilmers comment, I think, will be one of the resounding ones that comes out of this conference, not getting to a point where you're fighting a bogeyman who isn't yeah. really there. So, you know, it, it's been a very strong flavour, and I think it's got a lot of support, but they've got to be careful they don't overplay their hand. But are you anxious about Whittingdale? Yes? Yesterday, when he was asked you about Channel 4. Yeah, I am. I've got a good question for you. Yeah, and really as usual, well, you know what's coming, and now yeah. you're doing your usual thing of answering something completely <laughs> different. <laughs> but it's not going to work, because I've watched this some great like people. I've watched yeah. Alistair Stewart. Oh, my God, is he still action. going on? Yeah, yeah. What's Alistair Stewart or me? Are you still, what are you asking me? Alistair the question is, Whittingdale, it was quite... Interesting what he said about Channel 4. Actually, hand on heart, I was, I was very pleased with what he said about Channel 4. He said the remit's really important. You're doing a really good job delivering it. Hooray. We're not considering the sale of Channel 4 at the moment. We might at some future date, which, I mean, frankly, is status quo from a Tory government. So I think, you know, the recognition that we're doing a good job now is actually there was sort of light, quiet cheering from the Channel 4 brigade He also seems to suggest that it didn't really matter who owned Channel 4 as long as your remit remained intact. Yeah, but, you know, that's in the end, that's a very, very simple thing to answer. I mean, at the end of the day, I know that the shows that we make, we make because we don't have to deliver a profit simple as that you wouldn't make those shows if you had to deliver a profit it would become a fundamentally different place I don't have a particular judgment on that but that's just the case we wouldn't take the sort of risks that we do if you knew you had to have a particular you know high watermark in terms of delivering to shareholders has it been quiet for sky this festival uh, we've had lots of our shows and our creators have been here. Stuart's been on lots of panels. I think we've had a good creative festival. Keeping dis- studiously dis- quiet on, the, on, these, on these big issues, though. I mean, not, not you personally, but just generally Sky as a company. I was just about to say I disagree with Chris because actually I think the festival's got loads of creative and uh, craft sessions that are going on, as I would say that, of course. There's um, uh, lots of mu- uh, music and craft and composition. Blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna do- I won't carry on and just do my defence of the festival. <laughs> but I think just the fact that we booked Whittingdale is amazing. And we've just because we've had these big hitters, you shouldn't... Uh, detract from what else is going on. No, I think that's completely fair. I mean, it's... He's sort of set the tone, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it did. I think that... Two things. I think it was great on Wednesday to have a McTaggart and the Secretary of State interview. It felt like you had two big bites of the cherry to set the agenda. And look, I, I, uh, it's my choice what sessions I go to, so I should stop going to all the, um, the political I have. I need to go, I need to go and see some masterclasses and get some more creativity into my life. The, the irony is that in 20 years' time, those young people that you met for the first time at the yeah. festival will be sat here debating about the BBC's charter renewal. Yeah. The next one, I mean, it's something that comes around every seven, ten years, isn't it? And what about the more general point that Ianucci made yesterday about the government sort of undervaluing telly 
well, not I mean, holding well, it in the same high well, regard as they well, do the car industry and things I, like that. Well, I think that's very true. That yeah. I think Britain as a whole doesn't realise the value of the creative industries. I think that's a really good point. But actually, we have to be fair to the government. The tax breaks and everything have, have really helped our, our drama business, and, and we're all benefiting from that. I, I think the government kind of does get it, but actually, overall, I think we need to let the country know, actually, what we bring to GDP. I think that's right. I think that, but I thought it was a really interesting visualisation in that speech about what would it be like if we were a sector involved in you know, gas or oil or, or arms, rather alarmingly. And it's certainly true. You don't see ministers queuing up to go to LA to walk into Sony to pitch ideas, which is probably a good thing, let's be honest. That I could end in a very unhappy place. But, but it is an interesting point that it isn't treated in quite the same way as some other sectors are. Although recently we've noticed we've had lots of requests to attend recordings of shows. Interesting. Actually. From mm. politicians? Yes, in the last six, uh, last year. Good shows, shows you're involved in, Wayne? Uh, yes, strangely enough. <laughs> wasn't, uh, wasn't George Osborne on the set of Agatha Raisin a couple of weeks ago? He was on the set last week, I think. Yeah, yeah with Adam. Adam was there. And that was because of the tax breaks, which obviously... Wayne's just mentioned, and uh, you know that has been it a just, genuine boost a for the industry. Big, hasn't a big it? fan of that show, just really, <laughs> <laughs> really likes it. Well, as we've just been hearing, the BBC has unsurprisingly dominated discussion in Edinburgh, with the festival taking place right smack bang in the middle of Charter Renewal. Following the McTaggart, there's a bit of a sense in the conference centre that the industry is beginning to get behind Arty. I caught up with BBC director of television Danny Cohen to see if he felt the same way. Yeah, it's been great to see the support the BBC's uh, received across the weekend. Great to see actually that front page of broadcast uh, with that cross-industry support and appreciate that from right across the industry. I think it tells a really clear story that the industry understands the importance of the BBC in the, in the ecosystem of uh, British television and the creative industries. It's what we believe. We know there's a debate to have and we welcome that debate. Uh, I was actually pretty encouraged by a number of the things uh, John Whittingdale said yesterday, but we have got a tough settlement on the financial side that we're going to have to work through, and we know the debate needs to continue over the next year, and we want to play a full part in that. Do you think John genuinely believes some of the things he says, or do you think they're platitudes? Well, I hope so. I hope so. I think I think you'd have to ask John that question, but I, I hope so. Um, and we've certainly noted them as public statements, and they were encouraging. But you know, we've got a long way to go, and we've got to keep making the case, and we need the industry to keep making the case on our behalf. So we've heard the, the threat of future scope cuts, uh, future services cuts. That seems to be part of the conversation here. When are we going to hear more about those things? So it all obviously happened in July. You, you'll hear from. Tony Hall, uh, you know, as, as you may have heard, this autumn with his vision for the future of the BBC. So that's an important next staging post. But we need to work that through. You know, if, if you've got to take out £700 million a year, we've got some of that pulled back through things like the iPlayer loophole and broadband ring fence, you know, but we have got a big funding gap and it's going to take time to work that through. We've also got this funding gap, as, as uh, the Director General announced in 1718, due to a drop in licence fee income. And that number's £150 million. It's a lot of money. And, and the first step is to work through how we save that money. BBC Two, I mean, that was one of the things that was floating as part of these discussions if you believe the reports is that is that genuinely under threat with, alongside BBC4 no I, I wouldn't say BBC2 is under threat I think all of the channels are going to have to look hard about how they save more money but no BBC2 is a very very important service which will continue is that is that copper bottom is, is that 
is there is that alongside other services at a copper bottom? Would you would you not countenance any cuts to BBC One, for example? Well, I, I think all of the channels will have to have some cuts. There's no doubt about that. I mean, BBC Three has already, by going online, managed to save a lot of money. So it's, we don't want to take anything more out of that. But if you've got to save 150 million pounds in 1718, some of that's going to come out of television. And if you're going to save that money in television, it's going to have to, something's going to come out have to come out of each of the channels. That 150 million, it's a really, it's very very difficult, but it's also interesting. The reason that gap is there is because less people are buying televisions. There is less license fee income being collected because less people have televisions. So you see a very very tangible impact there of industrial change. You know, less people needing televisions to watch television. A 150 million pound funding gap created by it. I think when you hear that number and understand that number, you can't but think uh, that television is going through some very interesting transformations. From a sort of human perspective, it must be quite stressful and challenging. Yeah, people keep asking me that this weekend. They keep asking me, I'm all right, and I'm rather, rather nice of them. But uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I, um, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, you just get on with it, really. And, and it's if part you, of the job. Yeah, it's, it's part of the job. I don't find it the most interesting part of the job, if I'm completely frank. You know, the, 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 uh, I'm interested in making great television that people really enjoy. That's why I'm in television. So I don't relish it in any way. It's not, it's not the way I choose to spend this amount of my time in this period. Uh, but it's really important. And you, you get on with it and you make the case. What does a good legacy look like then? I mean, in terms of what does success for the BBC look like coming out of the other end of this, this, this debate? Out of Charter and Yule, I think we'd want to make sure that the deal that we've agreed, you know, everyone sticks to. And I believe they will. You know, we've had that important letter from um, George Osborne and John Whittendale. Uh, I think we believe in a multi-genre BBC. Um, and I think we want the flexibility to keep innovating um, and doing a range of things because the public tell us they want them from the BBC. Peter Fincham rather cheekily announced on your leaders debate panel that uh, he was going to be revealing all the start times for the X Factor this year. That's a bit of a challenge, is it? Are you, are you going to have to think carefully about the way you schedule Strictly now? Well, I, I think it was an interesting point to make. I, I didn't know at the time, but I understand the reason we did move later was to move out of the way of ITV's England football match. So um, it would have been nice for Peter maybe to have mentioned that too. Maybe he didn't know. Um, I, I'd also note that he, he, he didn't really answer my question about why um, Emmerdale is being continually double-billed against EastEnders. Um, and if we're talking about audiences that are potentially similar, there's no doubt the soap audience is similar. Um, and it's been a trend in the last two to three years uh, for Emmerdale to keep doing that. I can think the only reason that that's being done is to damage EastEnders. So uh, I think if you're going to make the case for you know set times for X Factor, we'd love to see a Peter lay out the case for uh, Emmerdale slots that don't clash with EastEnders. But just generally more, you know, when drama, which is yeah one of the most expensive genres on television, when ITV has a big new drama up against the BBC, is there? I mean, he did say this, didn't he? Is there not the space for negotiation whereby yeah. you can you can not compete on yeah. on those but two things? The, they often don't. You know, we rarely play uh, drama on Monday nights. We don't have a huge amount. But uh, what had been proposed at the time is that the BBC leaves Monday always free for ITV drama. I don't think that would be appropriate for two broadcasters to do a deal like that. I don't think that would be fair to other broadcasters that two get together, uh, the two largest channels, and make an agreement on that on the side. I don't think that's right. Also, we, we um, in that particular case, we 
sometimes like to show dramas on Sunday Mondays. You know, the BBC has had a long tradition with things like Silent Witness of having dramas on Sunday Mondays. We didn't want to be ruled out of ever doing that so that ITV could keep a slot. Look, with our schedule, we're trying to put things in the best slots for licence fee payers. Our primary objective, of course, is licence fee payers uh, not suiting ITV. We try to avoid clashes, but we can't always guarantee them. And as I say, I'd love to see ITV commit to not showing Emmerdale against EastEnders in the future. Uh, time now to ponder some other headlines. Uh, Jay, Wayne, Zai and Chris are back with me. And first up, it's ITV Director of Television's pledge to release all the start times for the X Factor this autumn to ward off a scheduling war with Strictly. This was pretty smart, I thought, Chris. You got on the front foot, and, th- yeah. and they have published it now. You can, if you go online, you can find when every episode of X Factor is going to start. So um, I'll get my diary out. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Good for our, uh, recording. It was actually one of the re- one of the really good moments in the le- in the leaders' debate because Peter went on the front foot, and and uh, broadcast has been very very supportive of the BBC in recent months. And I, you know, it doesn't mean that we think everything they do is perfect. And some of the competitive scheduling, when Pete, what Peter actually did really well was he used a specific example. He said, this uh, third episode of X Factor, we announced it, there was going to be no clash, and then all of a sudden the, the billings had changed. And So d- just Danny Cohen said to me today that they moved it because ITV had live football on. So he's saying that they had a legitimate reason to do uh, that. And, and, and I don't think Peter was saying there wasn't a legitimate reason. I think what he was saying is it feels to them as though given that the BBC spends quite a lot of its time at the moment it's in the mode where the BBC's kind of saying look we need all our supporters to rally around and give us some support and I, I sometimes wonder whether it d- could do a bit more to help itself with, with issues like that What's the issue? Like a nice spot, I don't know nice there, there is, there debate, is but it issue It's well, it it been going on since the no, 1970s no, There is an issue You can just sky plus it Old fashioned there is an issue No I think there is an issue I actually thought that was a rather extraordinary moment yesterday when Peter said that because we've had an almost identical situation with BBC Two in terms of a, a, a quite an aggressive scheduling play and to then have Stuart pipe up and say actually we've got some issues as well and I think it tends to be a very benign debate around the BBC and amongst the channel controllers largely because a lot of us have spent our career at the BBC and we're big fans of the BBC but I, I think the point Peter is making is ITV need that that is a huge revenue generator for them and it is a fundamentally different world when you have to pay your way to when you are paid for by the government and I don't think anyone's asking the BBC not to be competitive it's simply to be aware of the impact those sorts of calls have and you know there have certainly been instances where they're not yeah, have they not had the to logic publish of that every time there's a successful every time that ITV says there's a show that means a lot to us commercially the BBC shouldn't put anything decent against us going to get an no, I audience don't, I, don't, I mean to be honest I think that's that's misquoting misrepresenting Peter I think it's a huge deal for Peter and all the time he's been at the ITV I've never seen him take a pop at the BBC not once that was I, the first time I'd ever seen him say anything yeah. so I think he's been very sparse in, in, in giving negative feedback and I think it's a legitimate thing to raise and it'll be interesting to see how the BBC responds having said that having sat on the other side of the fence the BBC are in a very difficult situation it's a family show you know this <laughs> you're involved in it I mean what are they going to do put it out at 9 o'clock at night so I mean I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays well, also, out So Strictly was on air before X Factor yeah, but that's, you know, it becomes a sort of, you know, in the dark, in the dark distant time <laughs> when you were first there, Wayne. Oh, you know. we're all young yeah. in those days. What I would say is uh, ITV need a good X Factor this year. They, do they really X-Factor. do need a good X Factor this year. That's another story. Yeah, but th- let's go back to it. That If you're running BBC One, you have £1.1 billion of public money. Peter doesn't have that. So, yes, as he, I don't think he'd make any apology for saying, yes, he needs a good X Factor. He absolutely does. And what about the voice? It seems like that's become sort of symbolic in this whole debate about charter renewal. Bloody hell, the voice. <laughs> have you it's, ever it's, watched it? 
Yes, we have watched it. You've right let yourself down saying that. Hardly mad at the joke. people now, are you? It's a joke. Oh. Is the voice the root of all evil? That's the question that Edinburgh has posed this year. It seems to be, isn't it? It seems to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's around about the voice. I've never. This is the most talked about show in British television. No, I, I think again, it's quite an interesting. I mean, the, it, at its highs, a kind of quite interesting philosophical debate about about should the BBC be generating hits and that yep. can then deliver the sort of you know IP that you were able to flog <laughs> relentlessly, Garvey. Relentless let's be honest, around the world. Yes. Um, or should it be picking up formats at a vast expense? I and mean, I think that's quite that's one of the more nuanced debates. It's quite an interesting one in the heart of it. I'm sure they'd rather have created something, obviously for the, the value, but clearly. For whatever reason, the independent sector and the in-house weren't creating the kind of shows yeah. I'd left by them. Well, if in doubt, blame Tom Jones, which the BBC seems to, <laughs> seems to advocate. Um, uh, next up, uh, BBC Three developing a series that will attempt to emulate the hit US podcast, Serial. Any Serial fans here? No. All Stony s- silence. All <laughs> all listen to it. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, no, I've listened to it. But you're not a fan? It's, a, it's good. Yeah. I've been yeah. Doesn't, doesn't uh, I spend much time you watching up, telly others. rather than listening to podcasts. So do you think it can work on telly, this idea? Yeah, well, I mean, the Jinx, which was on Sky, is exactly the same thing. It's a TV version of Serial. Oh, it's yeah. funny, though, because the Jinx, the Jinx, everyone wanted the Jinx. Everyone yeah. said, how can I get the Jinx? When the when Serial landed, I, I must have had 30 pictures within two weeks yeah. of versions of Serial. I mean, I actually think we should all be setting the bar a tiny bit higher and not trying to say, well, that worked, let's go copy it. Because, I mean, in the end, I think the Jinx is one of those extraordinary, almost serendipitous programmes, yeah. isn't it? Which was extraordinary well, and you can't regret. Year, I don't know. Years, so, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Serial may or may not work, but I think saying a show worked, let's go make something a bit like that, it's actually a, quite a depressing place to have got to, isn't yeah. it? Okay. Even, even, even the creator of Serial says she, did, she didn't think she was doing anything particularly new. There are interesting questions, though, around what does short form content for BBC Three look like yeah. given that it's sure. go- not very long that's uh, the, uh, <laughs> the official verdict but you know it's going It's going. I was going to say it's going on air but it's absolutely not going on air is it? that's the whole point it's going to launch in January <laughs> right this is four months away and we're not really any the wiser about what this BBC Three short form stuff is going to look like so we're not any wiser after yesterday a lot of people we're, we're are waiting uh, with great interest and lots of indies are thinking is there a business model in you know can I run my company by winning some yeah. BBC Three short-form commissions? And no one really knows at the moment. The answer well, to that is no, isn't no, it? Look how much money they're putting into that. So what's that? They've said it was six, seven, million six seven million. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Spread across how many indies? Can you run a company on that? Unlikely. Probably. No, no, You're going to be going no, for a lot of that way. No, Would you right, like me doing it, Zai? Pardon? Would you like to be taking it online in uh, January? The best of luck to them. <laughs> <laughs> now you're taking it every day. I, like well. <laughs> I, I think though that that's the one thing that came out of one of the debates today is how does the BBC protect content spent? Mm-hmm. As, as someone who oversees a lot of companies, that's all I care about. I'm not necessarily that interested in the platform. Actually, it's the content spent. That's that's the. I know, but it's a, it's always in the nice possible way. I always think when producers say that, it's this idea that there are billions and billions of pounds in a cupboard somewhere, and that you know the BBC actively decides to slash budgets and not get rid of extraneous people. So I just think it's a tiny bit naive that debate. Oh, why? Well, because you know we've all worked there. I'm sure there is a tiny bit of waste left, but there aren't billions of pounds sort of piled up in the corner that they should be using on programming that they're not. So, I mean, I, I just think it's a it's a slight misconception that. No, the, the bit when I was there in commissioning, it felt tightly run and pretty cost effective. It did not look like there was there was lots of fat to cut. It was very clear that any more cuts were going to be on air. Okay, and that's in the in the commissioning bit. You've had some big US execs here, haven't you? Uh, ABC Entertainment yep. Group President Paul Lee was on the Charm Offensive, saying the door is open to UK talent to make shows for the Disney O Network. That was your interview, Wayne, wasn't it? Was it was indeed. Um, it was very, very charming. 
I mean, are there genuinely opportunities? Yeah, well, I, I think we we all <laughs> know it's an international business, isn't it? That there's not a drama producer in Britain really who thinks they probably can't get away a, a big drama without some co-production money, and and that means that drama producers are always talking to uh, American networks. I mean, Jay, I know for a fact that you have really close relationships with both networks and producers in America. It's part yeah. of our... It's all part of yeah, but the I think world we It's been quite funny, this. If you ask the big head honchos of America to come and talk to the baying crowds <laughs> of British media and you say to them, do you think we're any good? I mean, if you want to emerge with your life intact, you're not going to say, do you know what? You're not all that. So before we all drink the Kool-Aid, I mean, definitely the co-pro model is alive and well. Yeah. Things like humans are testing that. But, but I think... What what was the poor man going to say? Yeah. He couldn't really say, to be honest, I find you all a bit disappointing. So, you know, I, I, I think it's been a re- I, I tell you that, to all credit to Zai, it's felt extraordinarily star-studded in that sense. I don't mean because the Americans in town and we're all in awe, but it feels like there's a big international conversation yeah. happening. And that's really, them. and yeah. the fact they've yeah. all turned yeah. up, yeah. genuinely amazing, actually. Yeah. That's what the was first. your ambition behind that, Zai? It, it was exactly that, because it's the, it's the Guardian Media International Television Festival, and it just hasn't felt international in previous years. We've had one international speaker, so we thought, let's go for it. Let's put a proper strand in. And to be honest, they were some of the easiest people to book. They were really helpful and said yes really quickly, unlike some of the Brits. <laughs> Before we crack on with the quiz, uh, back to right to the start of the festival and the opening session, where a group of telly bigwigs were stuffed into the Big Brother house for 36 hours, all for our entertainment. And one of the housemates was Talking TV's very own Stephen D. Wright. And here he is giving a considered opinion of his experience in the house. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I had no idea because, of course, well, it's presented to you as a kind of it'll be a right laugh by the organisers by Lisa, by, by 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 Kate Phillips at Worldwide initially, and I thought, oh yeah, great. She was like, oh, it'll be so fun. You'll you'll stay up all night talking and having a great time, and so you turn up at the studio. And at this point, you're all on a high. It's all great. It's all good fun. Everyone's going, oh yeah, and waving at you. You suddenly walk in through the camera trap. And there's all the cameras. You suddenly open the door, you're in the diary room, and boom, you're on Big Brother. And then you realise you can't open the door until Big Brother lets you open the door. And you can't go to the toilet until Big Brother lets you go to the toilet. You really? It's Everything is controlled in that house. And that's the thing that shocked me. I think I'm a producer of 23 years standing. Oh, I know the game. And I think, suddenly, I'm a rat. This is, this is the thing. It, it, you watch it on TV, and you just don't realise how hard it is to do anything. The problem for the inhabitants, or the housemates as we call ourselves, <laughs> is um, is that you can't do anything. You can't go, you can't relax, you can't chill out, you can't read a book, you can't, you can't, you know, the Big Brother will close the windows and put blinds down so you can't even look out the window, you know, and they will, they will usher you, you know, like sheep from room to room, they will leave you there, they go, right, get ready for such and such, and then they leave you for half an hour. It's not get ready and we'll go. We'll do it straight away. It's get ready and then half an hour of waiting. All of this is eating away at your brain, eating away at your sort of psyche. And for control freaks like myself and the other uh, TV legends, it was particularly hard because we were, we all thought we had to play the game. That was the thing. We all we were all fools in that respect. But at the same time, we also respected the format. So we went in and you, 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 know, you could genuinely see quite quickly how people were like, oh, my God. 
they were genuinely sort of this shocked is harder by than we it. anticipated. And and of course it was so much more powerful. So whether or not it was fun for people to watch, I don't know, but it was hell to go through. Did you all think you could produce yourself and, and, yes. and keep yourself And alive each other. And... We were producing each other. We were sort of talking to each other as if we were the producers and they were the housemates. I mean, that's how sort of, you know, ridiculous it got. I mean, we all thought we knew better than the, the, the actual producers. We all thought we knew what was coming next. We all thought we could predict, you know, the next twist or whatever, which, of course, we couldn't. It genuinely sort of humbled us all because it made you realise... Big Brother is is everything. You are nothing. And what about the house itself? Everyone says it's much smaller. Well, this is the thing. You look at... We went in... We were the first housemates to go in before the, the, the initial series round that's just finished and before the Celebrity Big Brother at the end. And so we had to go in because of the sort of timing aspect. We had to go in in April. So we went in and it was brand spanking new. It was incredible. It looked glitzy and all exciting. And then within about five minutes, you realise it's tiny. It's like the TARDIS. And we were, eight of us were there, and it felt small. But the genuine series has 16 people. That's like, you know, some sort of migrant ship trying to escape Libya. I mean, it's like, it was it was horrendously cramped, and everything becomes dirty straight away. I mean, it's, because it, it I don't know how they do it, but it's very difficult to, to have it kind of clean, and so it becomes very grubby, it becomes very sort of, um, it's a bit like cleaning out your hamster cage, basically. That's that's what it's like, except you're the bloody hamster. You're in there. And that's what was so shocking. It looks amazing, but it became torturous. In the sort of the group of us, there was Clive Tullow, and he was the only one that was completely fine with um, Big Brother because he'd been to public school. So he was used to sleeping in a dormitory. He was used to being sort of treated like, you know, uh, you know, badly by, by, the, by the teachers or whatever. We all were all freaking out. I mean, you know, going to the loo was a major achievement. You know, the loo, the loo doors don't have locks on them, so anyone can walk in. And they took the cameras out of the loos for us, because that was our only VIP status. <laughs> you know, everything else was just, you know. And uh, who was your favourite housemate, and who would you have evicted? Oh, well, I mean, this is the thing. Favourite housemate is probably the least annoying person, and you can imagine the egos that were on contr- you know, out of control. Camilla Lewis, then. <laughs> Camilla was definitely one of the big characters in the house. Um, Asha Taller. <laughs> My God, he never shuts up. Uh, Dan Baldwin, a snap, you know. There was a lot of gobby, loud people, but they were also very entertaining. The problem was you don't want to be entertained for 24 hours straight. That was the thing. Because there was no escape, you know, people who are good fun become annoying. And quite often when you see the series, people who say nothing survive the longest. You know, the silent ones, the ones that don't do anything, uh, are probably the best game players. The ones who are kind of telling you brilliant jokes and fantastic stories, they bore you after a while because you're literally cheek by jowl. You cannot escape people. You, you know, hell is other people is exactly what Big Brother is all about. That's the whole series. And the fact that you have no free will whatsoever. Okay, finally this episode, a little game I've named Call My Commissioning Bluff. Uh, we all know Edinburgh is. We all Edinburgh, we all know Edinburgh is a goldmine of commissioning announcements, and I've rummaged through the countless press releases, and I'm going to read out a synopsis of some of the most exciting new programs. This is unfair because Jay uh, announced about 30 programs. No, I did. No, I didn't. None of them are Channel Four. None of them are Channel Four. None of them are Channel Four. The danger for you guys, though, the danger for you guys is some of the blurbs I've made up. Uh, so you need to decide which commissions are genuine and which are fabricated and call my commissioning bluff. Are you trying to get stuff commissioned by stealth? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> okay, so number one. Uh, the slow TV phenomenon 
is set to continue on BBC4 with cameras following a real-time circuit of the M25 during rush hour. Wayne. I think that's a real commission. No, Jay knows. No, no, no. no. no they're doing a sled ride, aren't they, or something? Instead. Wayne, you're, I'm afraid you're wrong. Russian oh, burn. Chris Gordy. is right. The garden will be making a. Well, they'll be following a sleigh ride in Lapland. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, slow TV? Is that, is that something that interests you? Oh, very funny. No, I think um, slow TV is slightly depressing, isn't it, really? Because if it should come to the fact that we can have a lot off camera just filming something where nothing actually happens, and that gets an audience. It's a bit like the test card it's for the got, modern era, It's got era, big audiences on BBC4. I know, but that's why it is the test card all over again, isn't it? I think that's a bit of an alarming thing to have had happen. So you won't be commissioning any time soon? we're not doing that. Uh, so, number two. I think you've got a minus point there, by the way. Yeah, but no, I'm sorry. He's got to be out. No, I, I, he's got a flaw. The next one is, one is uh, going to be a false one, isn't it? <laughs> OK, the next... I'm, I'm not going to listen. False. The next no, okay. The next big talent hunt on the BBC will be for a horror film director. Oh, that's true. true. Yeah. Oh, no buzzing. You didn't buzz. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Wayne. You said your name. Wayne. So, so true. Okay, name. Chris, you can steal this. Can you didn't say his name. He's not playing. Um, <laughs> no one's in the name. Chris, say your name. I'm uh, sitting this one out for okay. fear of being uh, lynched. It is true, by the way. Yes. Which, which channel, Jake? It's Studio Lambert is making it for BBC Three. It's called The Fear. Number three. A former Doctor Who writer is to adapt A Midsummer Night's Dream for BBC One. Chris, that's that's a, true. Yeah, that's I thought, I thought you weren't playing. <laughs> yeah, but then I realised I could win, so then I just dipped in. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, Russell T. Moment, Davis. Let's just be clear. Wayne is losing. Uh, yes, Wayne is still, still losing. losing. I got the last one right. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Uh, name. Russell T. Davis. Yeah, doing a 90-minute special for BBC uh, One, produced by BBC Wells. Finally, I'm sure you're all relieved. Uh, sticking with BBC One, the channel, to this the, yeah, the, the channel has ordered a musical drama about the influence of heavy metal on contemporary Britain. False, Wayne. False. <laughs> I'm desperate for a point. False, Wayne. It's all right. You're on door. Yeah, it's I true. It's not. It's not. It's, it's a bluff. Yeah. Red Planet Pictures is making a four-part musical drama about Motown for BBC One. Okay. That's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Uh, Lovely. <laughs> uh, thanks to all of my guests, Jay Hunt, Sally Bennett, Wayne Garvey, Chris Curtis, Danny Cohen and Stephen D. Wright for all the top Danny Edinburgh Cohen's news. Danny Cohen's not even here. <laughs> He's, he was on, I did it earlier. Uh, uh, <laughs> what did he have to say? Did he have to play a stupid quiz as well? <laughs> Let me finish and then you can all go. For all the top Edinburgh news and analysis, head to broadcastnow.co.uk where you can fill your boots. Uh, normal talking TV service will resume in a fortnight. Until then, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>